the chapters involved in our study. Are you ready to flip with me? Okay. Ready to flip. Numbers 20. Okay. Numbers 20. And you look down to verse 2 through 13. And you see Moses strikes the rock. Verse 10 and onward. Okay. The people are thirsty. They complain. God says, verse 8, And then you speak to that rock and the water will come out. Instead of speaking to the rock, Moses strikes the rock. Verse 11. Also in Numbers 20, look down to verse 22. That's the death of Aaron, Moses' brother. 22 and following. Glance on over to Numbers 27. Chapter 27. Verse... Verse 12 and following, this will be God speaking to Moses about his not being able to go into the, into the land of Canaan. Okay. Numbers 27, 12 following. And then go on over to Deuteronomy, all the way over to chapter 31. You'll notice once again in Deuteronomy 31, 14. God speaks to Moses about how he must die. And then chapter 31, 1 through uh, 6 or so, Moses is speaking to the people about how that he will not be able to go into the land, but that um, Joshua will be their new leader. That's chapter 31. Look to chapter 32, verses 48 to 52. And again, God says, you're going to go up on this mountain, Mount Nebo, in the mountain range of Abiram. See that? 48, 49, Deuteronomy 32. And there you're going to, to die. And then we have the death of Moses, Deuteronomy 34. And all of that chapter deals with the death of Moses. A little bit more background before we get into the lessons. When you think of the book of Numbers, okay, like uh, Numbers chapters 1 through 10 deal with the old generation coming out of Egypt. And the first 10 chapters or so deals with preparing that old generation to go right into the land of Canaan. But then chapters, Numbers chapters 11 through about 25 deals with the failure of that old generation. And so during this time, Numbers 10 through 25, you see the failure and God's disappointment. And so there's going to be a transition from the old generation going into the new land, to the land of Canaan, to the new generation. And so the end of the book of Numbers, say Numbers 25 onward, deals with preparing that new generation to go into the land of Canaan. Okay. And then the book of Deuteronomy is basically Moses speaking three big speeches to that new generation. 
that's going to go into the land of Canaan. And at the end of Deuteronomy, we see the death of Moses. Okay. So that's just a very quick but, but uh, important background that gets us to the death of Moses. We've been studying a little bit about Moses of late on Wednesday nights. Remember, we started with Moses, the first 40 years of his life. Where was that spent? Okay, Pharaoh's palace in Egypt. And then the next 40 years, where was that spent? Shepherding. Jethro's pasture. And then the final 40 years of his life. Yeah, he's shepherding God's people. He's bringing them through the wilderness. This is the book of Numbers. This is the book of Deuteronomy. Okay. And so we see here, if you've got your Bibles open to Deuteronomy 34. If you look at verse 7, Moses was 120 years old when he died. See that? Deuteronomy 34, verse 7. He was 120 years old when he died. So, this class will be about what do we learn from these various passages and the idea of the death of Moses. Okay. And as always, you're welcome to help us move along in our study. But what do we see? What did Moses see? And what do, what do we see uh, here? Okay. I want to begin by kind of a continuation from last week. Remember last week we made comparisons between Moses and Christ. Well, there are some comparisons to make between the death of Moses and the death of Christ. Just briefly want to touch on that. But first of all, notice that both the death of Moses and the death of Christ are unique. Okay, what is unique about the death of Moses? Is Moses dying because of a sickness? No, God, God took him up on a mountain and God buried him there. Nobody knows where he buried anything like that. Okay. Moses is dying. If you look in Deuteronomy 34, okay, he is dying. Verse 7, his eye was undimmed. His eyes not dim. And his vigor is, this one says here, unabated. In other words, he was still very much alive. He still had his strength, still had his eyesight. And he was still ready to go, except he's dying. Why is he going to die now? Alright, it was it was God's time. He was not, it was time to go into the promised land. He was not going to allow Moses to go in because Numbers chapter 20, Moses struck the rock instead of speaking to the rock. And so it's time for Moses to die. Okay, so his death was unique. And so was Jesus. Jesus died in the prime of his life. Jesus died not because he was sick, but because he come to die. To die for the sins of the people. Okay, what was unique, I think Brother Marl just mentioned, what was unique about the burial of Moses. 
Verse 6, Deuteronomy 34, what do we see here? Yeah, God buried him. That's right. He died there, verse 5, in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite of Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. And of course, in like manner, but much greater, Jesus' burial was very unique. Because as Isaiah 53 verse 9 prophesied, Jesus would, would die and be buried. His grave would be with a rich man, okay, which was Joseph of Arimathea. And Jesus was not buried in a family tomb, but a borrowed tomb. Okay. So both burials are unique. Very interesting. Um, just as... Um, you want to study this out further but over in um, the book of Jude this is just for your further study but I have no idea what this means but it is stated in Jude uh, verse 8 and 9 verse 9 talks about um, when the archangel Michael contended with the devil and they were disputing about the body of Moses. And then uh, just you can, if you want to study, I don't know how much there is to study about that, but there you are. Okay. One of the mysteries of the Bible. But in comparison to Jesus, both Moses and Jesus' death are unique and their burials are unique. And both Moses and Jesus came back to earth after they died. Of course, Jesus in a greater way in the resurrection from the dead on the third day. But where do we find Moses? Matthew 17, Luke 9, the Mount of Transfiguration. There, there he stood with Elijah, with Jesus, and Peter uh, saw it with his, with his own eyes. And Peter talked about that later in 2 Peter uh, 1. And so just to get started on this, we see these further comparisons of, of Christ and Moses. Okay. God didn't want either one to be worshipped in death. God didn't want either one? To be worshipped in death. If his body was removed from the peoples, they couldn't make a... a An idol out of... Or, or go back to it. Okay. 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 And so with Jesus' death, no one knows where that was either because it's like he's saying that part is done, we're going forward. Okay. With Jesus' death, of course, he came back and he's the living one. Appreciate that. All right. So the second big thing we want to notice uh, tonight is to notice once again God's attitude towards sin. God's attitude towards sin. So let's read a couple of things here. Go back with me to Numbers 20. Numbers 20. Just notice God's remark here after Moses sins. Verse uh, 
It says, verse 11, Numbers 20, Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and, and their livestock. But verse 12, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, uh, because you did not believe in me, notice that, to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. Okay. Notice in verse uh, 22 and following, this is about the death of Aaron. Okay. Verse 22 and following there. Verse 24, let Aaron be gathered to his people, for he shall not enter the land that I have given to the people of Israel, because... You rebelled against my command at the waters of Meribah. Take Aaron and Eliezer, Eliezer his son, and bring them up to Mount Hor, and strip Aaron of his garments, and put them on Eliezer uh, his son. And Aaron shall be gathered to his people and shall die there. So Moses did as the Lord commanded. We see God's attitude Toward sin. Jump on over to chapter 27 of Numbers. And again, notice what God says about this. Verse 12, the Lord said to Moses, Go up into this mountain of Abiram, Abiram and see the land that I have given to the people of Israel. When you have seen it, you also shall be gathered to your people as your brother Aaron was because you rebelled. You rebelled. So first he said you you, um, you didn't believe in me. You didn't uphold me as holy. Now he's calling what they did rebelled. You rebelled against my word in the wilderness of Zen when the congregation was quarreling. Uh, you failed to uphold me as holy at the waters before uh, their eyes. Okay, now let's jump over to Deuteronomy. Back to the chapters in Deuteronomy. Looking down to verse uh, 32. And... Especially look at this one here in Deuteronomy 32, 49. Well, it's going down here. Uh, 51. 51. God said to Moses, Because you broke faith with me in the midst of the people of Israel at the waters of Meribah, Kadesh, in the wilderness, and because you did not treat me as holy in the midst of the people, therefore you will die on this mount or... Now, was there a time when Moses argued with God about him having to die before going into the land? Well, if you go back to Deuteronomy 3, verses 23 to 28, you'll notice that verse 23, Moses says, I pleaded with the Lord about this dying on Mount Hor. But verse 26, here's what Moses said. But the Lord was angry with me because of you and would not listen to me. And the Lord said to me, enough from you. Do not speak to me of this matter again. You will go up to Mount Pisgah, that is Nebo. You will lift your eyes, you look on the land, but you're going to die there. So we get another peek at God's attitude uh, toward sin. Now, could you make some excuses for the sin of Moses here? I mean, the sin of Moses striking that rock. Could you find a way of minimizing what he did? 
Could anybody? He was upset at the people murmuring against him again and again and again. And I tell you what, I think we're pretty good at this. I think we could, we could help Moses with some excuses. I mean, if we had been back there, I think we could have, I mean, because this is what we do with sin, right? We minimize it. We minimize it. Well, I could do it. Uh, first, I might say to the Lord, Lord, you know, Moses might have been a little bit confused because you know, at another time, Exodus 17, 1 through 6, you actually told him to strike a rock and, and the water came out. So maybe uh, he was just tired and he was just, uh, he was just confused. Okay? Or we could say, you know, Lord, Moses was burdened with the people. I mean, one of the big chapters about the burden of Moses is Numbers 11. If you look down there at about verse uh, 14 or so, you'll see that God, God is listening to Moses. Moses is pleading his case. Moses says, I can't go on, Lord. I can't continue like this. I can't, I can't bear this burden uh, anymore. Moses was burdened. So that's another way you could minimize the sin of Moses. So, you know, maybe Moses was confused. Moses was under a lot of pressure. And so uh, just, Lord, you just need to overlook this. Or we could even say, you know, what's the big deal, Lord? They still got the water. What's the big deal? That sounds a little familiar, doesn't it, to our day? But it had to do with obedience. It had to do with obedience. But God's. Yeah, that'd be another good way of minimizing the sin. Moses could have said to the Lord, Lord, how many times have I pleaded for these people? How many times have you been ready to uh, extinguish them and I have stepped in and, and pled with you not to do this? And yet, Moses is not going into that land. And we see again and again God's attitude towards sin. We do this though. You know, things that seem small to us is oftentimes big to God. And what we might consider as the smallest little infraction is an offense to God. Okay. What about Aaron here? So did Aaron strike the rock? But well, he was there, wasn't he? He was there. And God treated him as if he did strike the rock. Why did God do that? Aaron didn't speak up, maybe? Okay. There's something about Aaron's situation there, association, God still held him guilty, even though he didn't actually strike the rock. God holds him just as guilty. So you wouldn't have gotten any whippings when you were little if it wasn't for your brother. Just because you were around. Just because. So, do what, man? 
main thing is Aaron heard, heard the uh, command of God. You speak to this rock. Aaron heard the people complain. Aaron was right there. He heard God say, you speak to this rock. And Moses struck it twice with a staff. And Aaron is just as guilty as Moses. So it teaches us a lesson. You know. In 2 John, verses 9, 10, and 11, there's a warning there about false teachers. And do not receive them into your house, nor bid them Godspeed. And so though we may not actually do the wrong thing, but if we are not standing in the way, or at least attempting to stand in the way of the wrong thing, then God may very well hold us accountable as well. Okay. Romans 1, 32. It's another good, good idea here. Okay. If you look at verse 10 and verse 20, he speaks to it pretty plainly too. It's uh, after God told him to speak to the rock. It says that Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together. They both did together. Yep. They brought them together. And then what they said really, I think, uh, points to what they did said, here now you rebels must we fetch you water from the rock. Yeah. They, were, they were taking the glory, if you will. They were going to do this yeah. together. They were going to fetch water from that rock for the people. Not giving God the glory. Okay. We're going to do it. Notice that in Numbers 20, Brother Paul was mentioning how that um, Moses said to the people, just before he struck the rock, he said, come here you rebels. Will we bring this water out of this rock. Moses kind of lost it right here. He, he and Aaron both have just lost their way and they're going to pay dearly for this. Okay. All right. So that's very important as we see God's attitude towards sin. You know, this is the second time that Moses has been on the doorstep of Canaan, the promised land, and he's not able to go in. What, what was the first time? Yeah, Numbers 13 and 14 when Moses sent the, the spies. And the spies, at least 10 of them, came back. Okay. And so how does that figure out to them wandering in the wilderness for 40 years? How long were the spies out there spying out the land? land? 40 days. So one year for each day you went out there. There Moses was on the very doorstep of the land, and here he is again. Okay. Numbers 20. Okay. It's getting late. And he's close, but he doesn't. He falls short. He falls short. All right. So we learn here about God's attitude uh, towards sin. But we also learn here uh, about God's mercy again. God's mercy. Because even though God's not going to withdraw the punishment uh, for, for Moses, Moses is going to die on Mount Nebo, but still he's going to allow him to see the land. He's going to be able to allow him to look northward and southward, have a panoramic view east and west, look over toward Jericho, and he's allowing him to see that land. Moses had endeared so much, none of us would, 
would argue with that whatsoever. Moses endeared a lot. But he comes up a little short here. But God has mercy on him to let him view the land there at the last. Let us never forget as we approach death, we want to be obedient to God, but also let's never forget how merciful God is. Let's keep the balance in our thoughts. Moses would remember back in Exodus 34 how that, that after the people, he comes down from the mount with the, with the tablets and the people are, are, are going after the false god, the golden calf. Well, God again, look, look, look back to Exodus 34. God's going to renew out of pure mercy. God's going to renew his covenant uh, with the people Notice Exodus 34, verse 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, mercy, and faithfulness, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, who will by no means, he will by no means clear the guilty, but uh, he, he will visit the iniquities of the fathers and the children. So there's, there's the balance right there. And that is that God is a God of mercy. Okay. Not going to tolerate sin, but he's also a God of mercy. This made me think about the end of Job. Job 42. At the end there, Job had these friends that came. You remember these friends that gave him such a great advice? I'm being sarcastic there. If you look over to Job 42, God was not pleased with these friends that came and tried to encourage Job. They're, one time they're called miserable comforters. But if you look at um, Job 42.7, the Lord spoke these words to Job. The Lord said to Eliphaz, that's one of them, my anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what, a, what is right, as thy servant Job has done. Now therefore, you take seven bulls and seven rams, and you go to my servant Job, you offer up a burnt offering there, and also my servant Job shall pray for you. And I will accept his prayer on your behalf. And in verse 10 of Job 42, the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. He restored the fortunes of Job. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. So again, we see the mercy of the Lord there in that situation. God is being merciful to Moses here as well. It reminds me of the, the verse in Romans eleven twenty two, the goodness and severity of God. This this is illustrated here. God will not tolerate sin one iota, but He is so merciful. He's so merciful. Can you think of a of an of a time in Jesus' life on earth when He showed this both this this mercy, but also an intolerance for sin? When he said, Father, forgive them. 
Okay, while he's hanging on the cross. What else comes to your mind? The money changers in the temple. That's right. That's right. Okay. He was not tolerating that sin. Okay. What about the time when he was teaching in the temple and they brought the lady in who had been caught in adultery? What did he say to her? Yeah, neither do I condemn you, but go and sin no more. And so we see here not only God's attitude towards sin, but we see that he shows his mercy and the tremendous balance that is in his nature as well. All right. How do we know? You know, Hebrews 11.26 says that Moses looked to the reward, you know, as he was as he was working out, making the decision to leave Egypt and, and cleave unto the Lord's uh, purpose, says in Hebrews 11:26 that he looked forward to the reward. How do we know that Moses received his reward? He was on the Mount Preparation. Yeah. That's right. It's one of the great proofs. Moses is, is, we later read about Moses being who Moses is. There's Moses, alive and well, doing well. And he appears right there on the mount with Jesus and those three disciples with, with Elijah. Okay. And so Moses, you know, Moses might not have gotten into that land of Canaan, but there was something sweeter waiting on him. This sin that he committed absolutely wasn't right. But God's mercy allowed him to come on into glory. You might say that when, when Moses closed his eyes on Mount Nebo, he opened them and he was in, he was in the glory of God. He was with God. Okay. Jump over with me to Luke 9. And this is Luke's record of the Mount of Transfiguration. I just find this really inspiring. Luke 9, 28 and following is the recording here. Notice um, verse 30 says that Moses and Elijah appeared with him in glory and they spoke of what? What did they speak about? Hmm? Christ's death? Yeah. It says they, they spoke of, of Christ's departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. The word there for departure is really Exodus. Isn't that interesting? There Moses is talking about another Exodus, a departure, uh, a, a de the death of Jesus. It's interesting that, that Hebrews 11 says that Moses chose the reproach of Christ <coughs> of greater riches than all the treasures of Egypt. How much did Moses know about the coming Messiah? Well, after he dies, he knows a lot more. And he's able to speak. Here Moses is on the Mount of Transfiguration. He had been told, we mentioned last week in Deuteronomy 18, Moses had been told by God and Moses told the people, 
the Lord your God will raise up a prophet like unto me. And that prophet, that prophet, the prophet would be Jesus. There, Moses the prophet is now on the mount discussing the death of the prophet, which was about to come. So we see here not only the mercy of God, but we see the reward that Moses receives after he dies. After he dies. This should give us great hope as we approach um, death. We're facing death all the time. Not just as you get older. We're, we're approaching death all the time. So we see Moses here and the reward that he's offered. This rest that he entered into, you know, um, Revelation 14, 13 says, when we die in the Lord, there is a rest that is awaiting us, R-E-S-T. We rest from our labors. In Hebrews uh, chapters 3 and 4, uh, there's quite a bit of, of discussion there about how this old generation in the wilderness was not able to enter into God's rest because of their unbelief and disobedience. Okay. And that was tragic. But for us today, it's, with all that we know, all the, all the scriptures we have, how much more tragic it would be if we miss the rest that God, the Lord Jesus, has and prepared for us after uh, this life. Okay. All right, let's go back to Deuteronomy 34. And notice this very faithful description of Moses. In Deuteronomy 34, verse 8, And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab thirty days. And then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded uh, Moses. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land. And for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. There just hasn't risen a prophet like Moses until Jesus came. Until Jesus came. Turn over with me to Hebrews uh, 3. Talking about in verse 2 of Hebrews 3 that Jesus was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all of God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, 
as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but he that built all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all of God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our, and our boasting uh, and the boasting of our hope. Okay. We can be part of Christ's house if we hold fast the confidence of our faith. But notice how that Moses as a servant was faithful in God's house. But Jesus as the son was more faithful, more glorious. We mentioned last week that Moses could not offer himself for the people because he wasn't qualified. But Jesus came and he could offer himself to the people because he is eminently qualified to do so. One other thought about, about Moses is that as he, as he prepared to die, God had told him to encourage Joshua. And he did. He charged him, and we could read more about that, um, but he did. He encouraged him. Well, let's just glance at that in just one minute. Look at Deuteronomy 3. Notice that even though Moses was already way past 100 years old, his work was not done. In fact, that is an interesting thing itself. After Moses is close to the time of his death, he's still very busy in the sight of God, not just busy encouraging Joshua, but also busy in, in putting down more of God's enemies. Okay. But in Deuteronomy uh, 3, verse 28, after God had said to, to Moses, I don't want to hear any more about you going into the land. You're not going into the land. And then verse 28, here's what God said to Moses. You charge Joshua and you encourage and you strengthen him for he shall go over at the head of this people, and he shall put them in possession of the land that you shall see. And then look over to Deuteronomy uh, 31 and see Moses doing this very thing that God said for him to do. If you look down to Deuteronomy um, 31 verse 7. Deuteronomy 31, verse 7. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn uh, to their fathers to give uh, to them, and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. That's exactly what God would have Moses to say to Joshua. And that's the kind of language we need to be able to use. Notice, Joshua is going to lead the people, but who is it that's leading the people? It's the Lord. It's, and that's exactly how it ought to be said. It's exactly the, the uh, frame of mind that, that we should have today. It is the Lord that will lead us. It's, it's not about a person or this person or that person. It's the Lord. If we're following His will, it's the Lord doing this. So here are some of the things that we're able to see as Moses takes his place 
Moses does accept his death finally. We would expect that Moses would argue with God, and he did, and he lost. God said, you're not going into the land. So Moses accepts this, and he begins to get the people ready and get Joshua ready to go into the land. It's a beautiful, beautiful story. It's, it's wonderful how these men are able to look up beyond their own lives and see God's big picture as he works out uh, the Lord of Jesus eventually coming into the world. What other thoughts do you have before we dismiss our class? I wanted us to see some more comparisons with Christ. I wanted us to see God's attitude towards sin. I wanted us to see also how merciful God was to Moses. I wanted us to see that God kept his promise that that as he promised an eternal reward to Moses, even so, there it was. Notice how Moses doesn't change. Moses is still Moses even after his death. You will still be who you are after you leave this planet and go into the other world. You'll still be the, who you are. Okay, we, will, we will know one another. We won't, be, we won't continue our, our family relationships, our married relationships, but we'll still know one another uh, in the land beyond. Okay. I wanted us to see how God kept His promise there. Okay. I wanted us to be able to see how God said, charge Joshua, encourage him, strengthen him, uh, build him up in his faith. And that's, that's a duty that we all need to do. But finally, we needed to see how, as great as Moses was, uh, there was one coming who was greater. And that's where, our, that's where our faith is. That's where our allegiance is as well. Any other comments you'd like to, to make? This is a lot to, to cover in one 30-minute session or so. But I wanted us to see the end of Moses here and the, uh, the beautiful story that it is.